I don't know if, if you have uh, have ever experienced this, but occasionally God wants to do something new and something different. <clears throat> In order for Him to do that, we have to get out of the way. Getting out of the way when God wants to do something is a difficult thing to do. I mean, you always do things the same way, right? I mean, don't we? We are going to end a minute. We're going to open up the Bible. We're going to read. We're going to we're going to study what God has for us this morning out of Acts chapter three. But it, sometimes God wants it a little different. Sometimes you put together all your plans and all your notes and all the ideas of how you think it ought to go, and God says. I'm not sure that's what I have for you today. So, I invite you to come along with me on a journey. I'm not exactly sure what God has for us this morning. But I want to really press into what He has and what His Spirit has to bring to us. So... As we prepare our hearts to go before the Lord, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read together from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. It says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why are you looking so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you've done this in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may, may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets before the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren, and him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet, will be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel 
and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold of these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we just ask that you would be glorified and magnified. God, as we open your word, Father, we ask that you would give unto us eyes to see. We ask for ears that would hear what your spirit is speaking to the church. Father, we pray that you would give us hearts willing then to not only hear, but put into practice that which you're calling us to. Lord, we lift up and we ask God that you would just go before us and that we would follow wherever you lead. And we give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Probably the greatest, the greatest miracle that we forget that we see over and over again is the miracle of a radically changed life, which is, in truth, the story of Acts chapter 3. Well, sometimes we think it's a story of a great healing, but if that's all we see, we miss the real miracle. Well, God heals people all the time. But the lame man who walked one day didn't walk anymore. One day he laid down on his bed and he closed his eyes to this world and he left. The real miracle that takes place in Acts chapter 3 is a radically transformed life. A man went from a beggar, poor, had nothing, had no hope, had no concept of what the future might hold for him beyond being on his knees for the rest of his life, asking strangers as they passed by to give him some change. And in one day, it all changed. Well... I don't know that he ever went on to wealth and prosperity. But I bet if you could ask him in that day. His life he would say will never be the same. And sometimes we get, we get caught up in the miracle. Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he walked. How many times? Have we missed the real miracle? Last Wednesday night, I got to sit in my office with a little girl who wanted to ask Jesus into her heart to be her Lord and Savior. And I got to pray with her. And the real miracle of that moment was that no matter what happens to her, the rest of her life will never be the same. 
ever. That God is doing a transforming work from that moment until that little girl sees Jesus face to face. That's a miracle. But we go around in the church today and we say, where is all the miracles? Well, by that we mean the crazy signs and the things that we just don't want to have eyes to see. And all the while, God says, they're all around you. Man, if, if you were willing next week at Koinonia to get to know somebody you don't know, you know, the amazing thing is they have a story. I remember real clean cut, straight laced guy sitting down with him around a table and hearing his story. Everybody's got one. A God story, how God took us from what we were and transformed us to what we are and continues to transform us into the image of his son. Uh, this guy, he could have been in the, in the movies. I mean, had a chopper, put a pillow and a sleeping bag on it, sat on it, drove off into the sunlight, and that's how he lived his life for years. Just worked in place to place and drove to the next place when it was done. And to hear how God met him on the open road, brought him to faith, introduced him to his wife who had her own God story, and put them together and today they're still serving Jesus. That's the real miracles. And I don't think we always have eyes to see him. Sometimes we want to see the miracle be God swooping down out of the heavens and, and snatching up the problems that are around me. I won't say God can't. Sure he can. He's God. No, I'm not. But to me, sometimes a greater miracle is God giving you the strength you need to walk through something you didn't think you could. There's people here this morning still walking, still living. Last year this time, couldn't imagine anything harder on the face of the earth. It still hurts today. But they're still here. And they're still walking. And God is still God. And He still delivers. And he still strengthens the weak knees and the arms. They can't quite pull us up anymore. Well, this morning, as we look at this story and the, and the message, the word that Peter shares, realize the real miracle of this story is happening in the person's life right next to you. If will have eyes to see and a heart willing to receive you couldn't even begin to fathom the book that could be written from the stories right here the stories of what God has accomplished in you in me 
And God wants to continue to do that work. I think sometimes we, we begin to lose sight of the, the amazing miracle of the cross and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And if we wanted to put it in terms, you know, when, you, when we're, we're going to talk about it in a moment, when we talk about the cross and, and, and Paul saying at one point in his ministry that I, I, don't, I have this decided not to know anything but Jesus crucified. I'm not going to try to be smarter than the theologians or smarter than these guys. I just want to know Christ and Him crucified. And we've sanitized that so much. I mean, it's, it's churchy eyes. We all have crosses. We wear cross earrings. Maybe we got a cross nose ring. I mean, anything's possible, right? But... If you took it back, if we took what it meant in those days and we brought it forward, imagine a man standing before a doctor who's been horribly burned. And the doctor is saying to the man, I am going to cure you, I'm going to help you, and the instrument of my help is going to be another fire. And that man would think, I need another doctor. That's what it meant to say, take up your cross. I'm already wounded. I'm already broken. I'm already tired. And you want me to grab the implement of torture and make that the sign of my life. The sign of my life is the cross. We have it on our stage. We we have it in our in our hearts we put our faith and trust in the cross of Christ that has done amazing things but it is a bloody sweaty ugly thing and it transforms lives still Jesus said Now you come after me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Where did Jesus walk? To the cross. And then to the resurrection. And then to the ascension. But don't lose sight. I think sometimes we want the ascension and the resurrection you can't have it until after the cross we got to come to the cross this man at the gate beautiful doesn't even know he's bearing his cross daily as his friends carry his broken body every day to lay down at the steps before the most beautiful gate leading into the temple And every time Jesus walked by him or the other disciples and he sat there disappointed in what God had done, he's bearing his cross. There he is. But still, reaching out for what he thought he needed on just the right day at just the right time, God speaks through his servant. And everything changes. But it's not the wholeness of his leg that's 
that's so amazing. It is the wholeness of his life. And that's what Peter wants to bring out to the people who come. After the miracle, this guy comes walking in the temple. People are blown away. This guy, his feet were all mangled and they weren't developed properly. The language in the Greek indicates that immediately the bones in his legs were healed. So whatever was wrong was something you could visually see. And now he's walking and leaping and the people are looking at his life. But but there's more that has been accomplished than just that physical healing. So they all come together and they're staring at Peter and John. Because that's what we do and that's what happens when we see those kind of miracles. We steal, at the, we steal, we stare at the people who do it. And we steal the glory from God. And we put it on them. Maybe we even take it for ourselves if we were a part of it. And we write a book about it or... Or we put it on a billboard or we do something else with it. But the point was that Jesus would be glorified. And so Peter, as they come and they're gawking at him and they're staring at him and they're thinking all these thoughts about about who is this and, and what have you done. Listen to what Peter says. It says, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel or look so intently at us? As though, don't miss this, by our own power or godliness, we have done this thing. It was not their own power or piety. It wasn't their ability to speak church words. It wasn't their ability to look all good on the outside or to attend all the prayer meetings or to be part of the choir. It didn't have anything to do with them at all. Their vessel. Their vessel through whom God worked. He says, we, there's nothing of us that made this man walk. And then he points directly to who is responsible. Look at the next verse. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, did what? He glorified His servant, Jesus. Several places in the the scriptures, the Bible wants to call Jesus, or He is called the Son of God. But the word that's used never means a, a little born one. There's a Greek word that means a little one born of. It always speaks more of the one who is the heir. In this case, the word that's used is the word servant. There's a reason why that word is used. Because Isaiah uses it. While you're holding your finger here, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. And take a look at at what it is that that the Lord wants us to realize. That he wants us to see as we take a look at. This servant, the glorification, the the glory of his servant. Here's how he does it. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Please don't miss that. You see, 
The scripture tells in Philippians, there's a lot of theological terms for it, but the basic concept is that Jesus, as God, emptied himself of his power. He emptied himself of his own ability, and he came in the likeness of men. He came like a man. God, like a man. And right here in Isaiah 42, the Father says, My servant, which is a title for the Messiah, My servant, Jesus, I uphold him. Every word he spoke, what did Jesus say? Every word came from whom? The Father. What did he say about everything he did? Everything I ever did, where did it come from? The Father. Don't you see, that's why Jesus was able to say to his disciples, Don't marvel about this. These things which you've seen me do and greater you shall do. And every time we read that, we think what he's talking about is is making the lame to walk and the blind to see and and opening stopped ears. And, And that's true. He does those things. Don't miss. Don't miss the real miracle. When Jesus is saying to his disciples, these things that you've seen me do, think about their lives and the transforming power of those guys' lives. You remember who Peter was? Compared to who he is? Or John? Or James? Matthias? Thomas? These things you've seen me do, and greater you will do. But it's not going to be because of your piety or your power. It'll be because of your ability to allow God to move through you. Every once in a while, I water my lawn. Do you guys ever do that? I think that I should stop now, but I'm not sure. So yesterday we were watering the lawn, and uh, the wind was blowing. But such a shock in Idaho, right? And as the wind was blowing, the water's going, I was really watering my driveway. There was nowhere I could put the sprinkler so that the water would land on the grass because it was such a blustery day. It was blowing over onto the driveway. So I'm trying to move it, and as I move it, I got three holes in the hose. I'm just trying to get through this year. You know, winter's coming. I'll get a new hose next year. So I got three holes in the hose. It's just popping out here, and it's popping out there. And while I'm pulling it, it kinks up, and then water stops flowing all together. And I'm, I was reminded of an illustration that in the life of a believer, God's the water, and we're the hose. And the most refreshing drink you can ever have of water out of a hose on a hot day, you know, is when the water actually still tastes like water. You ever drink and it just tastes like rubber? And you think, I would rather be thirsty. But don't you see, sometimes that's, that's how we are. We, we allow too much of us to be involved in the water of what God wants to do and and we taint the water we make it taste like us and then people aren't refreshed they're they're not renewed they taste the water and they say well I don't really want that that doesn't taste good the bible says taste and see 
Jesus in his life was able to press in to the Father and be an example for us of what it looks like to be the perfect hose. You see, he took of the Father and he gave it to the people. And it just passed through him like a vessel. Why? Because he's not capable of doing it? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying because, because that was the example he was providing for us. That we would then go to the Father through the Spirit, receive and give. My servant who I uphold. If God was to make a statement about any of us, is that how it is? Is it my servant who I uphold? Or is it my servant who occasionally talks to me? Or who once in a while is obedient to me? I think sometimes that's what he would say about me. I, I long to be the servant who God upholds. That allows himself to be used of God. To allow God to do a work in his life. He says, my elect one in whom my soul delights. For I have put my spirit upon him. And he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. He doesn't use a bullhorn from the corner. He just speaks forth the word that God gives him to speak. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. The whole chapter goes through the concept of the suffering servant. If you look in verse 7, it says, To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. I am the Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carven images. The former things have come to pass, and the new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you. God telling us what he would accomplish through his servant, Jesus. The day he was glorified in Acts chapter uh, in Acts chapter 3... The Father working through him, doing this movement in his servant Jesus. The Father glorifying the Son and what he did. But then he turns and he looks to the people and he says of the people, listen to the the voice he uses, whom you delivered up and denied. In the presence of Pilate, he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One, another title of the Messiah, And the just, the one that's to bring justice to the Gentiles. And you ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the prince of life. The word for prince means the originator. The cause. The one who breathed life. How do you kill life? I mean, in essence, that's what he's saying. You... You asked for a murderer and you killed the one that gives life. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, the scripture says, All things were made through him. Without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life. 
And the life was the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, he, ha- he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. For He is the image, the exact representation of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were made that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things created through Him and for Him and in Him all things consist. Remember the Greek lesson. All means all. And that's all that all means. In Him all things consist. You ever felt like your life was unraveling? In Him all things consist. Many times when people read that scripture, they think about the, the idea of how God's holding creation together. And, and I believe that that's true. God is holding creation together and one day He'll let go. But the Bible says, in Him all things consist. That means you. Your life. It consists in Him. He's holding it together. And He knows... He knows where all the pieces go. That's why he's so good at conveying us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. From taking us out of the dark. Remember he takes the prisoners out of the dark. He sets the prisoners free. This is the work that Christ does. This is the miracle uh, that, that we need, that we long to really begin to recognize in our reality, not the, the, the great miracles of God's healing and God doing those kind of things. And he, and he does. I'm not trying to say those don't happen. But I'm saying what we need to see, what we need to be sensitive to is the, the ability that God has to take a life that's broken and be remade. To make it into something beautiful. Scripture declares to us that He will give them Beauty for ashes. You ever grab the handful of ashes? Just blows all through your fingers. It's all over your face, up your nose. Ashes everywhere. He says, give me those and I'll make beauty. Sometimes our life is just a burned out pile of ash. But God, the miracle of Acts chapter 3 is God making it. Alive, making it beautiful, making something from it. You killed the originator of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses. The word there for witnesses means that they are eyewitnesses, not just those who saw or heard, but had touched and felt. We've handled him. The Lord, we know He's alive. This, you're looking at us as though we've done something amazing. Listen, let me tell you what you've done. God ordained that His Son would die on the cross, and you gave Him up 
to the ones who took him. You denied him when they wanted to set him free. You declared that you wanted a murderer instead. You think all the people that were there in the temple when Peter's talking were at the crucifixion? I don't. Some maybe, but I don't believe that they are all there. Why is he saying you? You're the ones who who put him up. Because he wants us to understand that it was our sin that put Christ on a cross. It was our voice in denying him all the time that denied to receive him when Pilate wanted to give him free and ask for the murderer. Every time in my life when I deny the Lord, I might as well have been a voice in the crowd. Every time when there's an opportunity when God is speaking to my heart and saying, Jackie, you need to speak, you need to say something, you need to stand up and do something in this situation, and I have squelched that voice. All I made louder was my voice in the crowd that said, Barabbas. Give me Barabbas. We denied him. We denied the one, the one who would give life. But God raised him from the dead. It was all part of God's plan. In these verses, one of the incredible things that we see theologically is you see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility laid side by side. That God ordained this to happen, but you guys did it. That this was part of God's plan, but you're responsible for what took place. That there's responsibility to be born. But as we look, it says, not only this, but the scripture goes on to say, And in his name, through faith in his name, he made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yet the faith which comes through him has given this, don't miss this, perfect soundness in the presence of you all. That's my point wasn't just his leg don't you hear the language that he's using about the man he's perfectly sound now I've seen lots of people who could walk and leap and run fast that I would not describe as perfectly sound but that's how they describe him why because God did a work in his life transforming him from kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love lock stock and barrel he transformed him he who was guilty who was one who denied who was one who was part of the reason why Christ died but the story doesn't stop there God raised him from the dead the resurrection of God the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior Proves that the sacrifice took. If he was not a sinless man, he would still be dead. For the soul who sins shall die. That's everybody's case. Anyone who sins, death is inevitable. But the soul who has never sinned, you see, that's that's who Jesus Christ was. God raised him from the dead. The most incontrovertible fact in the history of facts is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. More eyewitnesses, more proof, more things have been written, both biblical and extra-biblical, than any other event in the world. 
It happened. You can write it off as myth if that's what you want to try to do. But it happened. All over the pages of history. It happened. And so, Peter says, by faith in his name. By putting your trust in Jesus Christ. By putting your faith in him. He is made perfectly sound. Utterly whole. He goes on to say, but now brethren, listen, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also the rulers. You guys didn't know what you were doing. How do we know that? It's one of the things Jesus said from the cross, right? When Jesus was on the cross, you remember he said, Father, forgive them, why? They know not what they do. That's right. You did it in, in ignorance. You, you don't understand what was going on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, If we speak of the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden, hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified him. They didn't know what they were doing. They could have known. Scriptures were there. Scriptures foretold. It was all laid out. But they didn't know. So Peter offers up to them as he's telling them, You're guilty. Your, your sin. Your cry of denial. Put Christ on the cross. Whom God raised up from the dead. Now he's seated with the Father. But listen. You did that in ignorance. That's why the offer from the Lord is forgive them. For they know not what they, they do. They, they don't know about the sacrifice. They don't know about what I've given. Now that sacrifice has been made. Now by faith, this name, the name Jesus Christ, that's the name under which or by which all men must be saved. In verse 18 he says, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of how many of his prophets? All. Of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. They couldn't reconcile a Messiah and the king ruling and reigning and there being a kingdom with the suffering servant. They couldn't reconcile it, so they came up with the idea that there was going to be two. If Israel was ready, the suffering servant would come. If Israel wasn't ready, the conquering king would come. Well, the reality is there's one, there's only one. And nobody was ever ready for him. And he fulfills both. For he is the suffering servant of Isaiah 42. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. He is the one who would be cut off from among his people according to Daniel chapter 9. And that's just three that pop in my mind. Every one of the prophets wrote about him. Every one of the prophets point to him. Point to Jesus Christ. This incredible, amazing God. Great is the mystery of godliness. For God is manifest in the flesh. He came. He walked. He died. So that he could translate us. From the darkness and into the light. And that's what Peter is telling them. He is the only way. So he tells them in verse 19. What do we do? Repent therefore and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. Repent and be converted. So what do we do with that information? The information that 
that this is true, that Jesus died on a cross, a horrible death, that we're a part of putting him there, that God raised him from the dead, that he has now made opportunity for our sins to be removed. And what do we do about it? The very first thing he says is to repent. The repent, the word repent, doesn't just it doesn't mean be sorry. I'm sorry for a lot of things I've done, and I've done them again. And then I do them again, and I do them again. I'm not really sorry. I'm just sorry I have to deal with them. Repent means to change my mind about it. The word repent means to change my mind about it. You know the lies that we tell ourselves when there are things in our life that God's dealing with us on? The lies where we say, well, it's a big deal. It's, 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 a, it's a little thing. It's inconsequential. It's, it's not important. And so we let that thing sit there and we let it fester and we let it grow and we let it poison. The first thing he says to do is repent. Change your mind. God says, I'll change your heart. The prophet Ezekiel, the Lord says, I'll take your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. But in Philippians, the Lord says, let the mind of Christ be in you. We have to make a choice to change our mind. Repent means I change the way I look at the stuff I do. The word and be converted speaks of changing my direction. I change my mind, then I change my direction. I've got to turn around. I got to head in a new way. Our lives, every one of us, our lives are filled with ruts. Places where we constantly drive over and over and over again. It just digs a deep rut and we just stay in that rut because it's easier than fighting against it, right? You try to get out of the rut, you try to, and it's just all this effort. I might as well just stay here. I might as well just stay in this rut. But the scripture says, repent, change your mind and be converted. Change your direction. Change your mind and change your direction. And the next phrase says, so that. That your sins may be blotted out. Blotted out. It's an interesting word in the, in the Greek, the word used for being blotted out. We see it in Colossians chapter 2. This may be a familiar verse to some of you. In verse 13 it says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that are against you, he nailed them to the cross. The word, having wiped out the handwriting against you, it's the same word, blotted out. The writer of Colossians tells us about it, he nailed it to the cross. Another time that word is used is in Revelation 21 verse 4. And God himself will wipe away every tear out of your eyes. That word, wipe away. Same word. Repent and be converted. Change your mind. Change your direction. What, listen, the, the, the changing of your direction is not changing your performance. I don't know if we get that. The changing of direction means I'm no longer living my life for me. I'm now living my life for Christ. That's my change of direction. 
Uh, my ability to perform the things I'm supposed to perform is still going to be lacking. But my direction is changed. I'm no longer the center focus of my life. Now the central focus of my life is Jesus Christ. I repent. I change my mind. My life is a mess. I am a sinner. I am guilty. My change of direction means now I am moving toward Him. I'm moving toward the Lord. I'm taking a step toward Him. All i got to do is take one. He'll take the other 999. He comes up. He scoops up. And He says, now I blot away every stain. I want you to picture it. It's like that, the child that was been out running around, falling in the mud. Cried and, and, and reached out to the father. And the father runs over and picks up the child and covered with mud and maybe bleeding from here or there and dirty. And, and he just begins to wipe away the mud, to wipe away the blood, to wipe away the tears. That is exactly what's salvific. That's what salvation is all about. It's God holding you and wiping away all that stuff, all the dirt, all the tears, all the blood, all the pain. That's what he does. That is salvation. What do we do? We change our mind and we turn toward him. And he wipes that all away. But listen to the next phrase. Why? Why? We repent. <coughs> We're converted. He blots out our sin. <coughs> Excuse me. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Man, if we were honest in this place, how many of you would be able to say, and I don't want you to do it, I just want you to think about it. How many of you would be able to say, my life is marked by times of refreshing. I feel refreshed. I feel renewed by the presence of God. Maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to be converted. Not necessarily talking about salvation, but the scripture lays out for us, every believer can make a decision in their life to go back to the rut. To stay in that, in that rotten rut and live a life without refreshment. And live a life without renewal. And say to themselves, what is this, this Christian thing? I, I tried it, I put my faith and trust in Him, but you see, I, I didn't follow through. I repent, changed my mind, I converted, changed my direction. I can't go back to the rut. My life will change. I just got to head toward Him. Just a step. And when I do, the guarantee is times of refreshing, relief. Think in your life, at times that you've drawn near to God, how that relief has come. Despite. Regardless of whether or not the healing came, regardless of whether or not the, the circumstances changed, we drew near to Him. We drew near to Him and that relief came, a time of refreshing, cool breeze, just at the right time. That's what, that's what Peter is talking about. The first thing is a time of refreshing. Do we have relief over our sin? Or are there sins that still bug us, that still pester us, that still nag at us, that still pull us back? Because Paul would write, 
cast off every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you and run the race with endurance toward Christ. Cast it off and run to Him. He has blotted out our sins so that we might have refreshing time. Listen, not only that, in verse 20 it says, And that He may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you. Specifically, talking to the nation of Israel, when the nation of Israel repents, Jesus comes back. Irrefutable. When Israel as a nation repents and calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And Jesus will return. And bodily put his feet on the ground. When they repent and are converted. Times of refreshing will come. The Lord will return. You ever felt like now, just kind of for us, not necessarily as a, as a nation of Israel, but for us, you ever felt like you couldn't hear the voice of God? You ever felt like there was some kind of distance between you and He? Like, I'm sitting in this place and I'm, and I, and I, and I just, I'm not feeling it anymore. God didn't move. What am I listening to? I'm so guilty of this. I stand before you a guilty man. What am I listening to? What am I doing? What am I... What am I leaving in my life that is making me dull of hearing? The nation of Israel got like that. You know, they thought their relationship with God was all sewn up. And through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says, Who is going to go and tell them? Well, hearing they won't perceive, and seeing they won't understand, and nothing's going to change in their life, because their hearts are so far from me. But who's willing to go? And Isaiah stood up and said, Here am I, send me. Their hearts, their ears had grown dull. Why? Because just a little bit of leaven... Just a little bit of sin, a little bit of something God told me to deal with, a little junk in my life. What's the big deal? Romans 9, 10, 11, Paul says, You Gentiles have been grafted in. Don't start to boast about your relationship with God because that's the same thing Israel did. And then she got cut off. And you were grafted in. How much easier will it be for God to cut you off and graft her back? The point is, don't be dull of hearing. So that Jesus will come. Is he at home in your life? You got a special room made up for him? Or can he just have it all? Does he get a corner? Or can he have every bit? And when he comes in, the first thing he's going to do is say, that right there, that thing, I want it gone. And whether or not Jesus is at home with your life will be dependent on how you answer him. I'm not talking about me coming to your house and telling you. If I come to your house and tell you, you can just say, whatever. But when Jesus does it, and you know it, every one of you know it. Every one of you have heard Jesus whisper in your ear, that's got to go. Repent. 
be converted. Change your direction. So that times of refreshing and Christ might return, that voice that you long for, you'll hear again. He'll be there. Wiping away the dirt, washing the feet, just as he did for the disciples. But this is a part I really want you to grasp a hold of in verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things. So easy when we read the Bible just to read it and get it done. So lots of stuff that got to be done today. There's things I, I got to do, places I got to be. The restoration of all things. I, I can't just go over it. Do you understand what that means? It means what it says. You ever felt like something was wrong? This is just wrong. It's just wrong that this ever happened and this ever happened in my life. And how many people in the world right now are bitter at God? Oh, I cannot believe you let this happen. This happened. Did you hear? It's only until the time of the restoration of how many things? Most? A few? The things we think? No, all things. All things. Folks, it does not just mean that God's going to take the earth back to the Garden of Eden. And it does mean that. It does not just mean that every animal will be tame and a child, according to Isaiah chapter 11, will be able to walk up to a lion and pet it. That a wolf will lie down with a lamb. It doesn't just mean that. It doesn't just mean that there will never be another weed. And that in itself is reason to glory. It doesn't just mean that there will never be another disease. It doesn't just mean that things now will be made right. It means that all things will be made right. Not most. All. Don't you see? I hear people tell me all the time, talk to a guy a couple weeks ago. God didn't save this person in my life or didn't do this thing I was expecting in my life. This problem wasn't solved the way I thought it should. And so I just not going to have anything to do with them. Don't, don't you see what you're giving up? You're giving up the restoration of all things. The one thing you say you really want is only found in Christ in a relationship with Him. It's not found anywhere else. The rest of the scripture goes on to tell us what's found everywhere else. Apart from this relationship with Jesus Christ, all that's lost forever. And you spend eternity in hell. Or, you are a part on that day of the restoration of all things. And all means all. All things will be restored, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. One of those prophecies is, I will give you beauty for ashes. You got something in your life, you're disappointed about how it came out and the way it worked out. 
the only way it's ever going to make sense is in Christ. The only way it's going to come full circle is in Christ. The only way you're going to experience healing now and then is in Christ. It's the restoration of everything. It's the refreshing that we need in our soul. It's a relationship that our our soul longs for. They can't find the world longing for that peace, that thing that they can't. They plug. I don't care what you plug into it. It's only found in Christ. It's Him. It's the missing part in our life. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like unto me from your brethren. And him you shall hear in what? A few things. In all things. In all things. Everything he said. Whatever he says to you, we're supposed to listen and do. The things that Christ has laid out for us. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet will be utterly destroyed from among the people. They'll be gone. They'll be gone. And all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow as many as have spoke have also foretold these same things. You know, you're the sons of the prophets of the covenant, the promises which God made to our fathers in which he said... In your seed, all the families of who? The earth will be blessed. Who is his seed of Abraham? Jesus Christ. For Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. How could Abraham see your day and rejoice in it? And Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am eternal God. And they picked up stones to stone him instead of listening to the voice. So Peter said to you first, God having raised up this servant Jesus, he sent him to bless you. How? By turning each of you away from your iniquities. To set you free. He wants to set you free. Maybe you don't know Jesus. He wants to set you free from yourself. Maybe you do. He wants to set you free from your sin. From the weight. From whatever has you snagged up. He wants to set you free. Has not changed. The second message that Peter delivers after Pentecost. It's the same message. It's Jesus' centrality. That he is everything that we need. God's name in itself, the Yahweh, means I am the becoming one. I'm everything you need. And I reveal everything I am in my servant, Jesus Christ. He shows us the way. The question is, will you follow? Just like on that day long ago around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus walked by people and he said, come follow me. And they left everything and did. He says the same thing today. And he's saying it to us. Come follow me. What's left 
So what are you going to do with it? Will you leave all and follow him? Or will you stay in the rut? The choice is yours. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, I stand before you a guilty man in a room full of guilty men. And I, for one, am a thankful guilty man because you set me free. You made me see. You've, You've taken my failure out of the way. And my God story You have translated me from dark to light. Occasionally, God, my life is shades of gray. And you're calling me to be obedient to the shades when you speak, when you say, go left. Do you want me to go left? When you say, go right. When you say, move this way when you say do this thing God my my life will never be the same but my life doesn't always resemble that transformed life of that man at the gate beautiful who was made whole and it, if it doesn't resemble that it's it's not your fault it's not your failure It's my sin. What is then required of me? Repent. Change your mind. Be converted. Change your direction. Come to me, my precious one, and I will wipe away the dirt. And I will wash away blood and the tears change your mind and come to me and I will give you perfect soundness God I pray we your people have ears to hear You have ears to hear, Lord, why we <clears throat> sometimes are overwhelmed by our sin. We're overwhelmed by our circumstances. And we're overwhelmed by needs of others. And we're overwhelmed by a thousand other things. But you want us to be overwhelmed with you. So repent, God said. Be converted. Move toward Him. Crawl up in His arms and let Him make you clean.
let him make you strong let him make you whole because he is everything we need and we thank you God for your spirit in this place and we give you thanks in Jesus name we pray Amen